As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us at this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure to sit across from Joe Motes, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Motes Corporation. Joe and I also serve jointly on the Gearing Center Board of Advisors and have learned a lot from Joe over the many years, both from watching his business from a enthusiast in the landscaping and turf grass management space, which I'll share more about in this episode, mm-hmm. also as a client and as now a friend. So, Joe, thank you so much for being here today. Man, it's my pleasure, Mike. I am excited to get together with you on this Excellent. One. Joe, I have spent quite a bit of time, you know, again, in the role of leadership you witness and watch how leaders operate and how leaders think. What's been one of the most inspiring things I'd love to pull out today for our listeners is the journey that you've been on, both emotionally, spiritually, physically, where you were at one point in the stage of your career as you were the budding entrepreneur trying to take over the world and change and make great big things happen from a business perspective Mm. and what you learned from that. What were some of the outcomes and how you're leading now and showing up well now as a CEO? So I appreciate you being willing to go on this journey with me. And could you share a little bit about, was there a pivotal time in your career, Joe, a place where you were mentally, professionally, that you said something's got to change? Yes, yes, for sure. You know, I've been at it 42 years, and there's a lot to be learned over that period of time. And I, like so many small business people, I got in it for the thing I knew how to do, and I thought I probably could excel at that. And for us, that was growing grass Mm -hmm. and creating really cool environments for people to play on. And But what happens with each of us is that the widget you're making or the service you're providing that really gave you the passion and the drive to keep replicating that and bringing it forward to the consumer, the public, moves you further and further away from it because your growth immediately, you can only do a very limited amount as me. And so very early on, it became team. And so as you move from the things you know, the tactical thing that you worked on, to being able to start to have an inkling of scaling that, it's a whole different set of skill sets. And so, yeah, I certainly came up on that ceiling, and it's very challenging and very difficult being in that space because it gives you a tremendous amount of anxiety, a lot of unknowns and a lot of frustrations and considerations of jumping off the tracks, hopefully not literally, Mm. but it's real, you know, to where you're like, black. you have this innate desire to keep growing what you're doing, but you can't figure out how to make that happen because there are only 24 hours in a day. Mm. And for those listening that are not familiar with the Moats Corporation, when Joe references the ability to build really cool fields and experiences the Moats Group, which is one of your portfolio businesses, yeah. is one of the world-leading 
turf installation companies for football, softball, lacrosse, field hockey, soccer, baseball, everything from the professional teams down to the high school and community fields. Absolutely. Correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually love the most. Uh, we love them all. We love whoever we're working with. Yeah. Always ask where your favorite place is, like whatever field we're working on yeah, you know? right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can get uh, people get passionate as we know about our sport. But the high schools are so fun because it's such a collective effort of all the parents and mm-hmm. support groups and. And they often come out and grill for the team while you're there building it. Mm -hmm. And so for our kind of culture, it it works great. The other part of what we do is we're a products group. So Mm -hmm. we're continually trying to change what is and saying, let's never be satisfied with this being the best we can do. We think we can always do better. And Mm -hmm. so putting ourselves in that position was how can we develop better systems? And so our products group brings alternative products that are more environmentally sustainable, that are a bit more enticing from a play performance standpoint. You mentioned soccer, Mm -hmm. baseball, fields that use the surface as part of the game. Mm -hmm. So when you think of these little black pellets, the crumb rubber that's in the synthetic turf systems, we have an organic line of product that you can use. It's actually based on the black walnut nut hmm. and then grinding it down, rounding it, treating it, and then that being an organic infill. And then we've got a mineral-based line that is using a sand and then coating it. And you've got then a little bit more stable, a little bit more environmentally sensitive products play at a little bit higher performance level. So that's more of our new start group. And I say new, I identified, and then we bought patents that represent infills back in 09. But it sat on the shelf through the downturn. And so while we're a 42-year-old business on the construction side, that side really started kicking in the gears in 13 and 14. So it makes it a lot of fun because everybody was bootstrapped. We're now 20-some around the country, uh, but it gives us great insight into how to keep driving the industry forward. And those are the brands, U.S. Green Tech and Turf Reclamation Solutions? Yeah, the U.S. Green Tech are the okay. products group. And then the solutions is an end of life. What are we going to do with these products? Okay. So how to physically take them out, separate them, use them in other aspects of industry mm-hmm. is a quest that we're on, always not trying to create products that fill landfills. Hmm. So as you look at your product innovation pipeline, one of the things that fascinates me about yourself is how your product innovation aligns to this journey that you're on as a leader, right? So you're talking about, you know, how can we be more sustainable? How can we make a greater impact on the community around us? Every discussion, every opportunity I hear you speak, Mm There's something about whether it's about leadership or about product innovation that's thinking about the bigger picture Mm. beyond what is and just been a very encouraging discussion. I know some of that leads heavily into why in 2018 you were honored as a Forbes Small Giants award winning for organizations that value greatness over growth. Mm. And could you talk a little bit about that journey? Yeah, it's a bit. Difficult, honestly, because I feel like we certainly are, it's a quest that I think everybody that's intentional about improving what is, is on and it never, never ends. But it's one that hopefully 
we are making significant recognizable inroads. First and foremost, for the group of people that we have that make up our culture, which is just fantastic and keeps me charged to come in every day for 42 years. But then also in the community impact and what we're doing and what kind of opportunity we have in small business to create a better representation, a better model within our communities and be part of the community's growth versus taking away from the community. I think we get knocked many times, I would say, unfairly in businesses. We're all painted the same. So I just see so many of us that are trying to work at a whole different level of connection. We consider ourselves a business family. And while I don't have anybody who is uh, related from a bloodline standpoint, we're really tribal and we're really close as an organization. And we want to do good in the community. So it's a model that you can never stop on, you know, if you're really intentional about that. So we continue to work with how can we create a more diverse environment? And we just keep realizing a step at a time how much better business it is when you welcome that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joe, when we're talking about the journey, I've had the opportunity to listen to one of your speeches of the joy of unpacking. Mm-hmm. And you referenced a time in your personal life as the leader that you had a doctor say, hey, <laughs> if you don't get off this race— you may not finish it as far as you want to. Can you share a little bit about that experience? Because what I have learned, Joe, especially as of even recently, there's a lot of leaders that were the high performing, the type A's. If we're not careful, we'll drive our own selves in the ground, right? Literally and figuratively. So, so very true. Yeah, I'll try to hold it together through this part because I'm one of those type A's. I was certainly much more severe, <laughs> And I think it's a derivative of what we're all about in growing and driving a business and building a business. You've got to have a lot of grit, a lot of perseverance, a lot of, by gosh, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get it moved forward. And so that is effective on many platforms. It can very much work against you as you look at trying to create an inclusive culture. It can also work against you from a personal standpoint tremendously because you get to the point where you're burning at both ends, and unfortunately, the family can suffer. And so, you know, I have a lot of guilt relative to my oldest two children in that I was away so much of the time. And I'd get home, and luckily, my wife was intentional about wanting to. She felt that very important to be part of their lives, and so to be at home. We were fortunate to be able to do that, but it should be a partnership all the time. And I wasn't near as good about it. And it led to me thinking, gosh, I'm having all this stress. My stomach's killing me. I got to get, you know, Tums aren't working. These things aren't working. And I just need an answer. So Jane, my wife, thank God, was insistent about going with me because she knew there was more that probably needed to be shared. And so I was focused on my stomach and talking to a doc who was a great older sage, but very smart and savvy in that he was much more interested in looking at the whole person and getting a sense of what he saw. And he was like, you know, as I go over all your reports, you look at your family history. I'm not concerned about your stomach, but I'm concerned about you. And I was 34 and 
his message, you know, I wasn't getting it. I was in denial until he just sat right up and said, look, you're going to well be dead by your mid fifties if you don't take action. So I don't know what it is that you can start with, but you got to let go of some things because you're, you're trying to hold on to everything. And, you know, I left there ticked off that I didn't get an answer for, you know, what I thought was an ulcer coming on. Mm. And Jane was persistent and thank goodness was very diplomatic in that persistence and mm-hmm. was trying to get it something we could both agree to let go of. And mm-hmm. as simple as it sounds, you know, a mountain can be awful high if you look at the whole thing and you don't know how to tackle it. But she helped me figure out a way to tackle first step. And for us, one of my to-goes to keep me running all the time, I used to live on sodas. And Coke was my favorite. And I'd have a biggie with me all the time. And we'd run through drive throughs to get it. And, you know, it kept me on the sugar high. And so you're up and down with that through the day. And then pretty soon when you're going in the evenings, you're on it as well. And we were doing it in the weekends and such. And she wasn't feeling good about that. And she's like, you know, we're getting to a place where it's just not healthy. Why don't we try giving that up? So. She convinced me, to, and I relented and said, I got to give on something. She's not going to let go. So mm-hmm. that became the thing. That became the thing. And, uh, and, you know, then it becomes a challenge, and you almost, if it's structured right and you start thinking about it right as a type A, it's like, my gosh, you know, I'm going to tackle this challenge like I'm tackling everything else. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm committing to a month, and by gosh, I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. And almost challenged with her, and she's like, I'm doing the same. And we went through a month and, you know, it's tough at first, but then, you know, I started like, let's keep this going, by gosh, you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we went for longer and then we went for a year. Mm. And by then, I didn't realize it at the time, but what I've learned with the pattern of this is you kind of develop a much better, healthier habit. And for me, it takes about a year, you know, it's that 10,000 hours thing Mm -hmm. or 10,000 times. And. Well, that's the last soda either of us have ever had, you know, and it's now 30 years later. And I'm not crowing about that. It's just that for me, awareness of letting go of something like that, that was never helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, I could once in a while, I guess. But for me, that's kind of the intentionality of, no, I'm staying on this track. And it's led me then to a whole revelation of better life changes and improvements, both in physical things and then ultimately intellectually in the way I think about Mm. how much I'm carrying, Mm. that leads you to a lot deeper level of understanding as as to the amount we pack on in life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people truly pack for their fears. Mm -hmm. And it tends to, the more you get into a position of leadership, I think we tend to carry, we can carry more and more armor. And that can work against us on so many platforms, mm-hmm. um, not the least of which is self. And, mm-hmm. and if you're not really doing well self, you know, the people around you aren't going to have the benefit of what you can give. Mm-hmm. Joe, thank you for sharing this so authentically. Are there tools that when you feel off track or burdened or like the weights on your shoulders? Are there tools or how do you monitor that? And how do you get ahead of that each time they pop back up? Great question. Talking about this helps me. So thank you. And I think it helps each one of us that pack stuff on. And so, you know, now I'm really enjoying 
being more vulnerable and sharing that. And part one of the tools is just starting to realize that vulnerability is enriching mm. and on a lot of platforms and certainly on this platform. Starts out with a little bit at a time. Now, one of the biggest tools I learned is think about just that step in front of you. And think about piggybacking on an action that you're already having a positive realization of rather than, you know, trying to go for the whole thing, you know, rather than losing 50 pounds or rather than I'm going to turn my life around starting tomorrow. Well, human nature doesn't allow that to happen. You know, I guess we're just in our eight and eight go back to cave times, you know, we've got it's hard to break some of these things. And so a step at a time and. For me, it's really powerful to gamify things on this front. Mm -hmm. So to make it fun, to make it for a type A person, to make it a challenge. And so I started doing something every year, which I would say, you know, I'm going to give up ice cream for a year. I'm going to give up white starch for a year, you know, Mm -hmm. and not that I'm give each one of those up for good, but that I become more aware of enjoying them when I might have them. The one thing I gave up for good because set the foundation with sodas, which I've already said, but I did a whole list of what people would say, that's really funky and kind of crazy. But what it did every year is give me some intention about it. And what I love now is the great ripple effect across my organization of 100 people that are gamifying these things as well, both diet, habits, ways of handling themselves that they intentionally can change up as a result of having something very, very concrete and tangible that they're saying, you know, I'm going to do without that for a period of time because it's helping me overall as a person be more mindful of this. So, I mean, it's so simple that people overlook it. And oftentimes that's where the nuggets are is making things simple. Yeah. Yeah. I find that people overlook it until someone who cares about them helps remind them that they need to stop overlooking it Um, in so many ways. You know, we've had a variety of interviews on the podcast where executives have shared their journeys, but more importantly, the journey of realizing that I was, call it out of balance, not integrated. You know, people talk about balance. I think it's more about integration and making sure that all of those things you're integrating are aligned and driving you towards your values and your goals and your objectives and having both friends. You know, I had a friend many years ago, Chuck Proudfit. I was in a round table with Chuck and he talked about the 3 a.m. friend concept. Mm -hmm. You know, how many people do you have in your life, including spouse, or significant other, or just friends that you could pick up the phone or roll over to and say, something's going on. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. I need your help. And how many of us have those? In many cases, you know, if we're not careful, we'll go throughout life and not have those until we have the need. And whether it's through, you know, pain or something going on with family or emergency or depression or things that executives deal with real time, But sometimes it's so lonely at the top that we don't feel like we have anyone we can turn to because everyone's looking to me for answers. And what if that shows my weakness? What if that shows that I am vulnerable? I love your point of, well, the more we're vulnerable, the more one, the more we become real Mm -hmm. and the more we can be our true selves, right? Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that because it has rested with me that what I don't want to do 
is to get to where I'm at 10 years from now or even where I'm at right now and not have a friend that I could pick up the phone on. We need to have authentic relationships in the workplace and in our personal lives that care for us despite our business that we own or thing we're trying to lead or thing we're trying to do. Because at the end of the day, I've been subtly reminded many times by my father (laughs) that if you go away, the world will go on. Mm -hmm. I was reading a book called Emotionally Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro. There was actually a chapter in that book that struck me right between the eyes. I was over at Miami Valley Christian Academy at a basketball camp over by your offices, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm at a basketball camp with my son. I was reading this book in the lobby, and there was basically a paragraph that said that we as humans have to get over the fact thinking that God needs us and realize that he wants us, for those that are Christian, that listen, or whatever faith, he wants you to be close to him and mm-hmm. wants you to be a part of making an impact in the world around you, but he doesn't need you. Mm-hmm. He'll do just as good without you. <laughs> and it was this time of relinquish of control. In fact, I resigned from a board chair role at that time mm-hmm. that I had recently accepted that I was doing really because I felt obligated, not because I thought it was the right thing to do for me or my family. Mm-hmm. Boy, what an emotional experience that was. Literally brought me to my knees and I called a friend. And said, Todd, Todd Feaster, who many of you have heard on our podcast, I called Todd and said, Todd, I'm wrestling with this and I feel like I'm going to let people down. And his response was, what does Amber think, my bride? And where do you think God wants you? Mm. And just do it. And we did it, right? But these times of tension points, whether it's in the community or at work, uh, we have to have people to go to and we have to realize it's not all about us. I mean, it sounds like you've been through this incredible journey that kind of brought you to that tipping point that said, if you don't do this, you won't be here 20 years from now. Yeah, absolutely. The concept of it's not about you is something I think it's hard for us to look in the mirror and be able to say, you know, and be able to really be mindful of that person that's looking back at you. You know, it's not about you're not going to be able to affect much or make it much happen if that were the case. And as you you say, that isn't our quest here on earth. And that's not why we were put here to connect together. And and yet I think that, you know, as presidents, as CEOs, and maybe the very worst are, are people like me, founders, to realizing that early on, because it is a very lonely space. It can be if you let it so. And it becomes, unfortunately, for so many of us, our firstborn. And you're harnessed to that effort that you're building and nurturing and growing. And it takes a ton of grit and perseverance. So all those things are good to a point. And it's very hard to be able to manage that line of balance that's so needful to do what you're saying, Mike, to be able to keep that circle of true friends, people who will speak straight and people who will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Excellent. The conversation around mental, physical, spiritual, did you also find, you mentioned you came off of soda and you go down this path. Did you find yourself doing other habits that made you Mm. 
more vibrant mentally, more mm-hmm. vibrant emotionally that just really felt, is that part of the unpacking, the joy of unpacking? Very much so. It's not having other people do things, but it's realizing, being more mindful, what's the best thing that I'm put on this earth to do? And sometimes that is honoring, you know, what the gifts you've been given. And so really being health-minded and practicing wellness, I became a whole lot more thoughtful of. And for me, that I always have to do things a hard way. So I've done a lot of running. I only started at 34 when this whole transition took place. But I realized how to replace those and that chemical that you seek when you're after sugars in a natural way. And just realize the benefit of that and how much cleaner my thought was. And I'm a morning person, kind of starts from being a farm boy and getting up to get everything watered and fed before the school day starts. Mm-hmm. And that's never left me. I'm a 4.30 a.m. or So kind of lucky in that way and that I get my workout in ahead. But then I'm like so energized for the day. And that started a continuing deeper thought on the mental and the spiritual side of being able to learn from what I'm learning via just trial and error as to what works, what doesn't, because you don't just start and do the whole thing, you know, be it a marathon, be it an Ironman, whatever. So it's always being mindful coming back to that. Oh, okay. You know, this is hard to just like business, just like everything in life, but I can, this is a challenge I'm going to go after, and I'm going to do it one step at a time and keep learning from it. So each of them have their own pattern of learning. But I really enjoyed doing things like this on the physical side to both honor the health and to be intentional about trying to be as young as possible at heart. And so for me, one of the cool things is literally going off of the grid every year. So I go off on either a biking tour or a backpacking trip, and you really realize how much we really do pack and how much we feel we need when you've got to be mindful about, my gosh, I got to carry all this on my back, you know, and I got to do it for a couple of weeks. And so one of the tricks is not to have too big a house on your back, you know, and we have some big houses and a big stuff we build around us, you know, and again, I think that. Just being mindful of practical applications like that are so tremendously helpful to how much we build of stuff we got to carry every day. Mm. And so I learned that the hard way as well. You know, the first trips I'm lugging through the Smokies and thinking, my gosh, I'm never going to make it to the end. You Mm. know, I just wish so many leaders and politicians would take the time to go off the grid like that in their own way and realize how much more trusting an environment in that space can be, how much you learn yourself and how much you will become like innately attached to a stranger Mm -hmm. because you both have clarity on what you're doing Mm -hmm. and you can be in from total different walks of life and like just connect on a way that doesn't happen on the street. But it's so much more real. And there's no locks out there. Nobody locks their doors. And everybody is so trusting when you're hiking. Things like that make me a lot more mindful of how much more I can integrate this into the workplace and be able to continue to have rituals and have people 
truly feeling like we have each other's backs mm -hmm. as we grow, because I'm so worried about that all the time. I worried about it when we were 10 going to 20 and, and then 20, oh my gosh, when we get to 50, you know, mm -hmm. we're not going to have that same feeling. Well, now we're over 100. And I think I never want to lose or have my leadership that is now running the organization lose that feeling of make sure we maintain our rituals, make sure we keep that connection to everybody trusting each other and That's being great. open to sharing together. Yeah. We had in episode nine, we interviewed a longtime client and friend of ours, Daniel Wechter, episode nine, and he talked about his experience, a similar experience of unpacking. I love how you have phrased this, where he was in Belgium in Antwerp, and he and his wife were, it was a kind of a complete accident. His wife was pregnant and they needed to get out of the rain and they went into Ruben's house in Antwerp. <laughs> and Daniel's learning there as a leader. You know, he was wrestling at that time. He's trying to do it all himself and I'm trying to push an organization to the top and I'm carrying all these things on my shoulders that I, 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 I. And he went in and learned about Ruben's house and Peter Paul Rubens, and he shares about how he learned at that moment how a single artist could sell more paintings than he could ever paint in his lifetime, mm. and how he would create a masterpiece, but he would do it by bringing in experts that were the best in the world at painting trees, mm. and would be painting brick, and would mm. be painting humans. And he would bring these individuals together. And basically, it wasn't just him. It was a lot of people around him building the masterpiece that had his name on it. And he unpacks the mm. riddle of, you know, kind of these three key ideas of the learning that we as leaders need to understand that it's not about us. And he was like, here, we were just trying to get out of the ring. That's profound. And I learned this experience. And now I've had the opportunity to work with him both here in Cincinnati as well as in Houston and in Wisconsin now of an organization that he's been at. And so we've worked in three different organizations together and one of the most incredible leaders of building teams. Mm -hmm. He understands and he was, you know, this wasn't me mm -hmm. 20 years ago, yeah. 15 years ago. Same. You know, this is me now because I had this experience that was completely accidental that finally realized all of the stress and burden and mm. challenge and strife I was wrestling with. Again, back to it wasn't about me and I was carrying too much in my backpack and that wasn't the intent. That's mm. not how we move around. So boy, what a connection from those two topics, mm. this interview and episode nine. If you're a listener listening to this and find yourself in this place of there's got to be a different way. I'm so stressed out. I feel like I'm going to explode. You know, no one quite understands me. Nobody's helping me. It may be you that can be an opportunity of change. And there is great hope mm -hmm. in that. And there is an opportunity. There's leaders who have been there before and you can get through this. And those relationships that you have around you can support you. But hopefully the earplugs can be taken out of your own ears. Now it's time to do some listening. Joe, I greatly appreciate this time together. Thank you for being so open and so transparent and to being an example for those of us who are trying to learn in your footsteps and take from leaders like yourself that have built 
incredible organizations, but more importantly, have done it in a way that is giving back to the world around you. And you just exude the experience that you've had in your life comes out in every conversation to those of us that are listening and watching. So thank you for being a talent magnet in that regard and being a great resource for all the leaders listening today. And Mike, I so thank you for the opportunity. It truly is very helpful to go there and because it's a never-ending quest, the letting go. And it's really triggered a lot of emotion, both in me and people who have heard the uh, Finding the Joy and Unpacking. So I welcome nothing more than to be able to help people on a one-on-one basis that might, and I've had wonderful opportunities to do so as a result. And it Every one of those encounters are helpful to both parties. So mm-hmm. I love being able to pay it back in some way. That's wonderful. So for those listening, we hope you take us up on that invitation and feel free to reach out to Joe or myself and I can help you get in contact. You can also use hashtag talent magnet if you're on social media and want to ask a question or provide any additional feedback. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and we look forward to our next conversation with the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. By now, you've probably heard of servant leadership, but did you know it's been proven to improve company culture, customer service, and reduce turnover on teams? Find out if your actions pass the servant leadership test at talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com slash SL. That's talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com slash SL. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.